Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for September 11th, 2018. On today's show, we're going to talk about what we've been up to at the water cooler. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Managing Editor Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. Senior writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writer Y. Tran Bui. Hey, everyone. Uh, Chris Evangelista is out at a film festival right now, and Brad is sick again. So it's going to be uh, a small shift of the water cooler today on the podcast. Uh, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll still have a lot of fun. We can have fun without uh, Chris and Brad, right? We'll have more fun. Lots more fun without those two. <laughs> <laughs> those party poopers. Yeah. Jacob will, will, will uh, dig out his uh, book of jokes again. I'm oh, sorry. God. <laughs> Give me my book of truths. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's uh, let's start about uh, let's start off with uh, what we've been doing. Um, I really had a boring week this past week. I've been watching a lot of stuff, but I haven't been doing a lot. Uh, this Saturday, uh, every year at the Magic Castle, they have a yearly swap meet, um, which is basically a swap meet for magicians, where they basically open up the Magic Castle and there's tables and they sell stuff. So I bought uh, some. So a cool book there uh, and uh, a cool trick. But, uh, I mean, it's really just a swap meet. There's <laughs> just nothing uh, uh, hugely exciting about it. So I, I don't really have much to talk about here. Uh, Jacob, what have you been up to? I spent the entire weekend in Dallas where I was helping my wife with a family with some family business that's not worth talking about on a podcast. But I did find some me time to break away for a little bit. And I ended up visiting Madness Games and Comics in Plano, which is a suburb of Dallas. And I was really impressed by the store. I don't know what the most famous games and comic store in Dallas, in the Dallas area is or if there is one. But Madness Games and Comics left me really impressed. It is huge. It was well-stocked. had tons of games and accessories. I could have spent hours in there. Uh, Austin is home to a lot of really great comic game stores. Uh, Austin Books for comics, um, Dragon's Lair for games, and comics as well. Those are my go-to stores around here. But Madness is on the same level as them it's i feel like when i walk into a game store uh on a, on a rainy sunday and i see a staff that is 50 percent women and i see all the usual nerds but also families and older people and young people all happily shopping and working in a brightly lit well-stocked friendly place a game store is doing something right and I, i'm happy that madness joins the ranks of austin stores that are really changing how these kinds of stores operate. The, the days of these yeah. underlit, smelly shacks full of, you know, rude nerds are going away. Those places don't fly anymore, and I'm really happy to see this becoming the trend. You know, I, I, I agree there. Anytime I walk into a gaming store that just has, you know, it, it almost looks like a room full of tables that have just magic cards on them, and it smells like sweat, and it's, I don't know, uh, just very unpleasant. And it, it, it might be that I've been watching too much Ozark lately, Jacob, but when you say you you went to Dallas to take care of some family business, I think I was imagining something much more grand than probably what it was. But um, he went to return some videotapes too. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of family business, I celebrated my uh, third wedding anniversary last week. Uh, my wife and I went uh, out to eat and into the movies, which we'll discuss in a little bit. 
Uh, but yeah, so a shout out to my wife, Natalie, who's put up with me for seven years and has put up with marriage for three years. Congrats, man. That's awesome. Congrats. Happy anniversary. Let's, uh, let's move on to what we've been reading because apparently none of us have been doing anything exciting this past week. Uh, I mean, it, it, it should be mentioned that we recorded, I think, the watercolor late last week, so uh, we have less days to talk about here. Uh, but uh, HD, what have you been reading? It's also been raining nonstop for me here, at least on the East Coast. So that was the reason where I just kind of stuck inside and read and watched TV the entire time. So I've been reading Pachinko, which is one of the books that I bought at the National Book Festival last weekend. And uh, this is a book by Min Jin Lee. It was a National Book Award finalist. And it's a story set in um, between like 1910 and the 1980s in uh, Korea and Japan. It's about a Korean family who moves to Japan, immigrates there, and uh, is kind of struggling to uh, survive and fit in in colonial Korea and then uh, World War II and post-World War II Japan. And it's a really interesting immigrant experience story. Usually we see a lot of immigrant stories that take place from like East Asia to America, but in this case, there's a real interesting conflict going on that you don't really see um, explored that much outside of um, Korea, Korean and Japan and Japanese sort of films and stories. And it's it's this sort of um, it's this conflict between the Korean and uh, Japanese. Uh, peoples of this time and it's it's really good pachinko is um sort of it's a japanese uh arcade game like peter was saying before and was like why is this uh, why is that the title of it but it it kind of comes in later on when they uh when the story kind of unfolds and the woman who's a protagonist ends up working at like a pachinko sort of seedy parlor kind of thing and uh i i really enjoy it it's the the writing is really compelling and riveting, and um, it kind of unfolds almost like a drama in a way, like some somewhat soapy in some aspects, but it's really interesting uh, portrait of this time period. And it should be mentioned why people should care about this book other than it being a good book, uh, because I got to relate it to something movie uh, and TV. <laughs> Apple did obtain the screen rights to this novel and is developing it into a potential television series. I did not know that. Oh, this will be a very good TV series. Yeah. And now we have an expert to talk about that once uh, casting begins and stuff. Uh, Jacob, what have you been reading? Uh, more like trying to read because I've been so busy. Uh, but a few days ago on the site, we were writing up news about the upcoming DC Universe show Doom Patrol based on the rather niche comic book characters. And we all kind of regretted on the Slack how none of us knew Doom Patrol very well. I mentioned it to my wife, and as an anniversary gift, she bought me the Doom Patrol Omnibus, the gigantic, massive $150 book that compiles uh, the Grant Morrison run of the characters, probably the one that is most well-known and famous and one they seem to be using as the um, touchstone for the TV show. So in typical Grant Morrison fashion, it's kind of hard to, to get into at first. He's impenetrable until he's not. And sometimes you read a Grant Morrison comic and you know you enjoyed it, but you're not so sure what happened. And you can't, you're can't. you not so sure if you were supposed to know what's, what was happening or if you were supposed to not know what's happening. So so Grant Morrison always have to go into with caution. But so far, you know, it's, it's good art. It um, you know has a sort of uh, 80s, early 90s style that I always appreciated. And um, so, so in a few weeks, I will hopefully be a Doom Patrol expert and we can talk more about it then. Especially with them gearing up on a, what is it, a TV series? Or is uh, it yeah, a movie? It's a, it's a TV series for uh, the DC Universe streaming service. Yeah. Uh, so you will be our expert on Doom Patrol while uh, HD is our expert on Pachinko. <laughs> um, yeah, let's move on to what we've been watching. And uh, I've I have a full list here, guys. So I apologize. This is going to be me talking for a little bit here. Uh, I finally went to the theater and saw Spike Lee's Black Klansman. Um, and I, I enjoyed it. Um, I don't think it's great. I don't think it's bad. I, I think it's pretty good. Um, I do think, uh, you know, I like Spike Lee as a director, but it's kind of half of his movies for me are really, uh, compelling and interesting and clever. And then the other half seem to be very kind of obvious and on the nose and almost like have moments of like, this feels like what someone would do if. They were making a film in film school. Does that? I don't know. I don't want to uh, disparage one of our great directors, but I feel like some of the political 
comparisons in Black Klansmen were like way too on the nose for me. As much as I, you know, my politics lean left and, uh, you know, I do not like Trump. But uh, having, you know, uh, David Duke in this in this movie basically say it say that he's going to try to make America great again. Like, I don't know. I just groaned. I was like, this is a little too. uh <sighs> When it's too obvious, it's not. Uh, what do you guys think of this? Like, have you guys seen I, Black Hansman? Yeah, I, I was sort of in the same boat. Like, uh, in the beginning of the movie, I guess the first couple uh, times when something like that happened, when a little reference to modern times became, you know, a little bit too overt, I sort of was rolling my eyes. But by the end of the movie, and especially with the way the movie ends, I'm not going to give away what that is, but I, I sort of um, took a step back and, and, recontextualized all of it as like part of a a larger message that Spike Lee was trying to get across. And the way that he did it was definitely like driving the nail down with a, you know, (laughs) a sledgehammer instead of just using a regular hammer. But I I feel like we live in times where a sledgehammer is necessary. So I, I, while I understand what you're talking about and even felt similarly in the beginning, I think I came around to the, the movie's way of operating by the end. No, I, I do agree with you. The ending was uh, emotional, and it really kind of hit you. I, I will say, though, that this story kind of is an anticlimactic ending. Um, I don't know. Uh, it's interesting. I think people should see it. I I, I would wait until home video, personally, um, which I did not do. <laughs> but um, I do want to uh, give a shout-out to Paul Walter Hauser. I think that's how you pronounce his name, who was in this movie. He was also in I, Tanya. He's like the big, uh, I guess you could describe him as big, almost like hillbilly kind of guy. Uh, he was in I, Tanya as um, Sean. Uh, he was probably my favorite part of that movie. And I know he was only a small part in, of this movie as part of uh, the the Klansman uh, group. Uh, but I don't know. I think he's hilarious and I want to see him in more stuff. And um you know, a couple months ago, I I, I saw. You know, th- this is a movie. <laughs> if for people that don't know what Black Klansman is, it's a movie about some uh, a policeman who goes undercover in uh, the Klan, uh, and uh, it is a collaboration between uh, a white man and a black man. Uh, the black man is the voice of the person on the phone while the white man is the, the person in person. It's kind of complicated, but it's a true story. Um, it's interesting after seeing this a, a couple months after Sorry to Bother You and uh, is, is seeing uh, the, the, the lead of this movie basically be on the phone pretending to be a white man doing – it almost like felt like it was the Sorry to Bother You voice. Um, if you've seen that movie, uh, I don't know. It, it was just a little strange. It was a little, uh, movies blending together uh, a little bit. Uh, but let me move on. I also, another movie I haven't seen and, you know, that I, I had been putting off for the longest time was Paddington. I finally saw Paddington. I haven't seen Paddington 2. I've been, uh, holding off on seeing the sequel because I, I've told myself I, I have to see the first film before I see the sequel. I, I'm just one of those people that can't do that uh but but uh me and Ketra watched Paddington over the weekend at home and it was delightful and uh just as uh wonderful as everybody said it was so if you haven't seen Paddington uh see Paddington too Peter I know now the problem is Paddington was available I think on Netflix or something and Paddington 2 is not available on any streaming service so it's gonna cost me six dollars to rent it which is why I didn't follow Paddington with Paddington 2 I instead put on a movie starring Nicolas Cage called Mom and Dad. Um, I know this played at, like, I think Fantastic Fest or something. Uh, This is by uh, Brian Taylor, uh, one of the guys that made Crank and Ghost Rider and those movies. And it's uh, kind of like a movie set in the, I guess, zombie apocalypse where all the uh, parents become, like, uh, zombies, I guess, or uh, whatever. Uh I I made it about halfway through this movie before I shut it off. And uh, to, to, to honestly tell you, uh, to admit that I shut off the movie is, is, is something because it's not something I often do. When I when I commit myself to 
that's watching a film, I'm I'm usually in it for until the end. I would say ninety nine point nine nine percent of the time. But this movie was just so manic and uh, so weird, and not in a good way. Like the action was all kind of using this. Uh, looked like it was like removing frames, so it was kind of like juddery and. Uh, everybody is kind of like over the top. Uh, I don't know. Uh, maybe if someone out there actually watched the whole thing, they could tell me if it ended up being any good. But I, I really did not enjoy the first half of Mom and Dad. Um, the other the movie uh, has some big fans, though, Peter. I just want to point out that, like, I remember I, I missed this at the festival scene, but I remember people having arguments about this, about whether or not things people complain about were intentional or design choice or if they were just amateur hour. So I'm, I, I think when I, I'm going to try to see this before our next water cooler because I've heard so many different things. I won't be able to talk to you about this one. Oh, yeah. I want you to see this, Jacob. I, I actually asked you before we came on if you had seen it because it seemed like a movie that you may, may have crossed your path. Um, and I, this disappoints me so much because I'm I'm actually a big fan of Brian Taylor. I think him and uh, Neville Dean, uh, who did the Crank films, they haven't really made a great movie, but I've really enjoyed kind of like their weird style. And uh, Brian Taylor did uh, this TV series called Happy, which I think is on Sci-Fi or something. Yeah, sci- it's Sci-Fi. Yeah, and it, it, it's a cool TV series. I don't know. I, I I was really bummed out that I did not like this movie at all. It just wasn't for me. But I'm interested to hear what you think of it uh, if you see it this week. Um, Peter, before you move on to your next thing, um, I, I was struck by you talking about how you turn this movie off halfway through because because for me, I'm sort of like you where once I commit to watching something, I'm pretty much in it for the long haul. But for me, it's like if I start watching something, I know within the first 10 or 15 minutes whether I'm going to keep watching it. And and Oh, I knew. I knew. Even the, <laughs> even the times when I decide to turn something off um, are, are very rare. You know, I've probably only done it five times in the past year or two um where i've that's more than 10 or 15 minutes into a into a movie and and decided you know what this is not worth it like i was just sort of giving something a shot and then uh and then decided against it but once you get halfway through a movie aren't you just sort of i don't know like pot committed at that point like (laughs) wouldn't you just want to finish it out or are you just to the point where you're like all right i've you know because doesn't at that point, doesn't the the first the whole first half become a bigger waste of your time instead of just the first ten minutes? You know what I mean? <laughs> um, okay, I think I've said in the past that I have walked out of movies before, but it's it's generally. I think, no, actually, it's only been at film festivals, and the reason why is at film festivals is because there's always something better uh, playing somewhere else. So, like, if you're like twenty minutes into a movie that you know is garbage. There is potentially a much better movie playing next door at the film festival. So I, I have walked out of movies at film festivals. And why I bring this up is you're, you're saying, why give up on this movie? And the, the thing is, it was late at night, Ben. And, uh, and I think me sleeping seemed like a better option than me finishing I mean that's a totally valid answer. So that, there, there you go. <laughs> and you know what? It could be just coming off of Paddington that <laughs> this movie – <laughs> a bit of a whiplash experience for you. Yeah. Uh, I also talked about last week Ozark season two, which I finished up and I really enjoy. Uh, I enjoy it, even though it's. Um, I know the guys on Slash Filmcast talked about this briefly, but it's you know it is trying to be like Breaking Bad meets Justified, and season two it kind of adds a little of House of Cards into the mix, and it's not as good of a show as any of those shows. But it almost seems like a show that, like, someone that watched those shows, like, loved those shows and was like, I'm going to make a show like that. And it's it's compelling and interesting and fun, but it's uh, not quite, you know, great, but it's uh, it's bingeable. It's very bingeable. And I, I enjoyed it. Uh, I know Ben's going to talk about this in a little bit. Um, I After that, I was looking for another TV series to watch. And I came across this show called Money Heist. Have any of you guys watched Money Heist? I actually covered that in my pop culture imports column. And yeah, I've seen, I saw the first three episodes, I think, and it was actually quite compelling. Yeah, I'm, I'm like five episodes in. This is a Spanish TV series. I think the original name 
was something that translated into like the paper house or something. La know. Casa de Papel, which is the paper house is such a better title. It was like money heist is the most generic yeah. thing you could possibly <laughs> call any, anything but a robbery. Yeah. And it, it, it's weird, too, because um, it's dubbed in uh, English. So it, it kind of has like that. Uh, H.E., I know you're probably more used to. It. I don't watch a lot of dub stuff, but because of anime. You can, you can change the um, okay. set in the Netflix settings. You can change it to the original language with subtitles. I always do that because I hate everything dubbed. So it's just like so overacting, like because they're not actually like, especially when there's like an action scene and someone's throwing someone and they're like making noises. It like, just sounds like someone making noises in front of a microphone and not. <laughs> not actually one of the actors on on screen yeah. Any, anyway so this uh show is about a group of people that get together uh, they don't know each other kind of like reservoir dogs actually this show is so inspired by movies and nice movies um and they each give each other names based on uh look like uh, i think cities uh so like the main girl is named london and uh they are basically trying to pull off the biggest heist in the history of the world. And they're basically trying to rob the, uh, what is it? The, the Spanish, um, where they print the money, whatever that, is, whatever that building like is. The reserve. Or yeah. Something? The reserve. Yes. Uh, and basically they're trying to get away with billions of dollars. It should have been called billion dollar heist is what it should have been called. I, I think. Um, but I'm watching this. It, it's, it's kind of interesting. It's uh, in a, um, now the shows I'm going to compare it to are probably going to make a lot of you not interested, but it's kind of like uh, it has kind of like a 24 kind of feel to it, and maybe even a Prison Break kind of feel to it. Um, but it's very bingeable. It uh, watching it, I am, I do uh, have the bad feeling that I get that like I'm like this could be a good. It would be good if you know an American filmmaker or showrunner remade this in a in a better way. Um, and I, I know that's probably a bad uh, feeling to have while watching something like this uh, because you know it's 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 available to all of us in America on Netflix and uh, it's even dubbed. So those people that don't like subtitles can watch it. Um, but uh, I'm still watching it. I'm like five episodes in. I'm enjoying it. Uh, and, uh, oh, and H.C., what, what did you think of it? Because uh, I don't think you've talked about it on this podcast. No, I haven't, but I liked it a lot. It was surprisingly stylish. I also had the similar feeling that it felt kind of like very um, inspired by other American heists and very 24. And I, but the team is really interesting. I like the characters a lot. And uh, the way they throw twists in was, was also uh, quite good as well. So Peter, I will recommend though if you, <laughs> I would recommend changing it to just the the reg the uh, original language with subtitles, just because I found the English dub just so goofy. That I think that is a lot of yeah. the reason that it might be not not quite jiving with you. Yeah, and, and it has a few seasons, so if you're looking for a show to jump into that you can binge through a, a lot of episodes, like the first season is 15 episodes. Yeah, I was just going to ask, um, before we started recording, you mentioned that you use IMDb ratings sometimes to decide what shows to jump into. Is that what you did here, <laughs> or was this like more of a random discovery on Netflix, or how, how did you come to this show? Okay, let me explain myself here, because I know a lot of people have a lot of opinions on IMDb ratings. Um I personally think that if a movie or TV show gets above a 7.5 on IMDb, then it's probably worth my time. Um, I, I use it as kind of like an indicator of like, you know, if a, if something's like at like in the sixes, it's very, I don't know, I, I found it very rare that I like something that's in the sixes or lower. Um but, uh, yeah, for TV, I don't really use that as much for movies because I'm usually seeing stuff at press screenings or early on before there are, like, a lot of ratings. Uh, but for TV, what I'll usually do is I'll browse the IMDb TV page and uh, arrange it by, like, the highest rated TV shows that are on right now. And that's how I'll discover, um, you know, what. how do you find the good stuff uh, amongst all the crap in peak TV, especially all these streaming services? And uh, this, yeah, this was one of the shows that I, I came across. Yes, yeah, so on IMDb, this uh, TV series has an 8.7 out of 10 rating, which is pretty high. That's like up there with like Better Call Saul. So uh, very highly rated. Um, and uh, I'm enjoying it. 
Um, ben, do you look down upon my my using no, IMDb? No, no, no. <laughs> no, I think I mean that's like a it's the same thing as um to me as as sort of like uh well I don't know if it's the same but it, I'm basically I'm glad you found a metric that you can use to as like a shorthand you know because there is so much stuff out there and for me it's like um I'll jump on a show if I feel the tide swing in a certain direction on Twitter or something, for example, where like a ton of people in my feed are suddenly talking about a show. I'll be like, oh, maybe I should check this out Um, or enough people say it's good. But that's a that's a very limited selection of of people. You know, Um, they are curated instead of just randos like IMDb. But uh, but yeah, you know, the the sample size is way bigger on IMDb. So, yeah, as long as you're um, as long as your tastes seem to align with uh, with those numbers that yeah. you've described, then uh, you know who am I to judge your way of yeah. picking? I mean, the problem with IMDb with like anything is if you have a large fan base, like say Zack Snyder fans, Chris Nolan fans, Star Wars fans, you can in mass go to IMDb and influence the rating of that thing. Sure. Right. Yeah. Um, but uh, generally, a show like, especially this, a Spanish TV show, does not have those kind of fans to uh, change the skew rating, the numbers, yeah, yeah. the numbers in a great way. Like, I think eighty-seven thousand votes on this, so it's it's pretty high uh, with that many votes. Um, yeah, I, I recommend. Uh, I'm not saying that I let IMDb uh, decide if something's good or bad for me, but it's a good way of uh, just wading through. You know, the immense choices. You know, I, 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 like many of you, I think, stare at that television with all those tiles of things and you're scrolling and scrolling through these like tiles. And it's so, so much stuff and so little time and you don't know what to watch. So uh, th- th- that's how I get through uh, finding new TV shows. Um, and lastly, I got to see yesterday, I went to the, the movie theater to see a press screening of The Predator. Um, which I'm going to say, uh, I really, really enjoyed the first half of this movie, guys. Uh, Shane Black, uh, uh, along with, uh, Fred Deckard did, uh, created a real throwback. And, uh, I think for good and bad, like it really kind of has like the potholes and the, the problems of like eighties and nineties movies, as well as like the, the stuff you love from them. It has, uh, some great uh, bloody action, some satisfying R-rated action. Um, the kid actor in the movie is, is pretty bad. Uh, the, Jacob Tremblay. Yeah. Jacob Tremblay, really? Aww. Yeah, I did not like it. Well, he was playing like an autistic boy, and I don't know. It was, it was just Maybe it's also some of the material he was given to go with uh, just wasn't great. Uh, the, the whole film kind of goes off the rails in the second half in a, in, in a major way, uh, and uh, there's a lot of dumb choices. I'm, I would still recommend it. I think there's enough good in this movie, but it, it was kind of disappointing, especially coming from a uh, filmmaker like Shane Black, who I... I you know, have enjoyed a lot of his films. Um, and neither, none of you guys have seen Predator yet. Yeah, I saw it last night. I was going to talk about it in my section, but I'll just oh, go, ahead, go and, ahead and piggyback off of yours. Uh, I, so in, in the, in our uh, Slack channel yesterday, you said, uh, wow, does the Predator go off the fucking rails in the last 30 minutes? <laughs> and I, you know, in, in my mind, I, I was thinking, I, I don't know. Um, you know, I, I still like went into it with an open mind, sort of expecting myself <laughs> to sort of like it more than you do. Because I feel like sometimes our our tastes are slightly different on things like that. We have different tolerance levels for things like that. And, uh, you know, for the first like 75 percent of this movie, I was like, oh, this is like pretty. I mean, it's goofy. It's really dumb. Like Chris was saying on yesterday's episode of the podcast, it's it's dumb action, but, it, you know, it's enjoyable, whatever. There's some then, bad jokes and yeah, yeah, very bad jokes. Yeah. And and like some of the the callbacks to the original Predator and, and like some of the lines that they recycle and stuff are sort of like made me roll my eyes. But uh, overall, I, I sort of enjoyed it. Like Tom Jane was doing a really ridiculous. Um, <laughs> like I don't know what the hell he was doing with his performance. He was playing a guy with Tourette's and uh he was just out there in the whole movie. But um, and, and then the final 30 minutes rolled around and you're absolutely right, Peter. Like this movie just completely <laughs> just I mean, it, it is like it, it gets it, I guess there's a level where 
even in a movie involving space aliens, there's a certain logic to the first three quarters of this movie. And then like physics go out the window and like the, the action set pieces that happen in the, the last, in the back, you know, back quarter of the film are just like laughably bad. There's some really, really awful CG stuff in there. And it's like, this is the part of the movie that was uh, significantly reworked. I think we reported on a bunch of reshoots that happened. And I, I really wonder what the original version of the ending of this movie was, because what we got is um, it, it almost ruined the whole experience for me. And I, you know, I, it's not like I'm going to say this is a terrible movie, but I would say, uh, you know, it's, it's probably not worth seeing in a theater unless you're like a diehard, diehard predator fan. Um, just because it's so mixed, uh, the, the movie is just all over the place. So, yeah. Can, can we call, uh, an end to Shane Black using um, <sighs> mentally, what, what would be the word? Um, I don't know. Uh, what what other example? Well, are you well, he, well he, the Tourette's thing was really bad. The autism yep. thing was really bad. I just don't think he's the right filmmaker to tackle those kind of things. <laughs> mm, I yeah, uh, I can see that case being made. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I just feel like. After this film, someone needs to tell him, like, you know, let's let's just let's not do that in his movies. <laughs> um, OK, Ben, what else have you been watching? So after you talked about Ozark on uh, I think it was last week's water cooler, I finally just decided to jump in. My wife and I have been watching a bunch of comedies, but we were looking for a, a, dra- a new drama to watch. And we both enjoyed Justified. Actually, I don't think we finished Justified. Our, the final season of that show, we just skipped because I feel like it sort of took a nosedive. But season two of Justified is like one of my favorite seasons of television ever. I, I, I did uh, the same thing. I don't. I wonder how many people that watch Justified did that because I was so into that show. And then that last season, I just like I stopped watching after like one or two episodes. Yeah, it was weird. Um, but uh, and, and obviously we love Breaking Bad, too. So, um, you know, the the combination was intriguing. And so, yeah, we started Ozark. I think we're four episodes in at this point. Maybe. Yeah, I think we just finished the fourth episode. And it's very good so far. I mean, it, it's uh, it is compelling right from the start. And, uh, you know, everybody's description of like, oh, this is. Uh, what Breaking Bad becomes is how Ozark begins is, is very accurate. And and if you um, have been holding off on the show for any reason like I was, I would highly recommend jumping in because it's very enjoyable. I mean, the, a lot of the characters are kind of terrible people, but uh, especially Jason, Jason Bateman, who is the lead. Um, but it's so satisfying because he's so smart. There are moments in the first few episodes where he does things that are so um, against what you think a, a smart person would do in that moment. And then as the scene plays out, you realize that he's like, he's so smart. He's gone over the top and back around again. Like he's out. He's, <laughs> there's a point where he, and I think it's the second episode, um, some, some uh, basically like rednecks steal a bunch of money from him and he tracks them down and just walks right into a room where there's a bunch of them in there and they have guns and everything. And he just like talks his way through the situation because he's so smart and he knows exactly. It's like he, he's 10 steps ahead of everyone. And um, I I love watching smart people do smart things on TV shows and and movies. So um, the show is very satisfying in that way. So uh, yeah, I would recommend Ozark so far. Like I said, I'm only a few episodes in, but I'm looking forward to diving into the rest of it. I I, I didn't Uh, mention on a past episode of the water cooler that in the beginning of each episode they have the ozark logo and then they have oh, these yes. clip art in it. so did you actually close your <laughs> eyes or are you looking at the clip art and trying to figure it out yeah so uh i said in that that older episode that i would probably look away and i have proven to be a liar because now i just watch <laughs> uh, i look at them all the time and i think i don't know i, I wonder how much our conversation about that influenced the way that I uh, that I actually handle that now, but um, but yeah, I, I'm definitely not looking away. I'm I'm looking at it, and I'm definitely trying to think ahead and and figure out what those little symbols might mean in terms of uh, the narrative of each show. So yeah, I'm a total hypocrite apparently. But uh, <laughs> the uh, the other thing that I watched the last thing was uh, I caught up with the season 13 premiere of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, which uh, is as funny as always and um, one of the the sort of standout, Mindy Kaling was in this episode, 
And one of the um, sort of standout aspects of it is that uh, Rob McElhinney, who plays the character Mac, uh, got completely jacked for this season. Uh, I don't know, maybe maybe not the whole season, but definitely for this episode, like ripped beyond belief, which is really, really funny because in season seven of the show, he turned into what the gang called him Fat Mac. And he gained like, I don't know, 40 or 50 pounds or something absurd. I don't know the actual numbers, but he actually, the actor himself, who is like one of the co-creators of the show, actually put on a ton of weight, like to a point where it was like dangerous for his health for no good reason, really. Like the, the, too much dedication for a a sitcom. Yeah, exactly. And and it was funny because like I mean the the whole reason it's funny is because there the gang in the show is always trying to scheme and come up with different plans to get away with things, and he just like basically got fat and. And they, you know, they're always trying to like use the fact that he's fat, the fact that he's fat in, in ways to sort of incorporate that into their schemes. So then, in this most recent episode, the the season thirteen premiere, he is completely ripped. He's like walking around with this without a shirt on and everything, and nobody pays any attention to him. He's like, yeah, I just, you know, I just got really ripped. So like, I was figuring that we could, you know, we could just use it like in in one of our schemes or something. And, like everybody's just like dismissing him completely, and so it's hilarious because the actor did I mean clearly did so much work uh to actually shape his body this way and it's just another throwaway joke in the show so uh I just wanted to give a quick shout out to it's always sunny I I can't even think of a serious like dramatic tv series where the actor you know pulled a Christian Bale and totally transformed himself like I'm sure there are some but uh but yeah I can't think of any off the top of my head this is definitely I mean especially going from like regular to super overweight to back to regular and then down now to really, really cut. I mean, for a comedy, this is like unheard of. I I wonder if like that was the motivation or if he like, you know, was just getting back in shape and they decided to use it. I think I think he just decided to take it all the way over the top because the show it gets really meta with it, like the descriptions. Um, and it, it, he also basically like talks about it in a way where you can read the way that he's describing him changing his body as uh, like a double for the way that the show itself operates. Um, <laughs> anybody who, who watches the show will understand what I'm talking about. And I realized just now that I said it's unprecedented for a comedy, but Chris Pratt did something very similar in Parks and Rec. So uh, yeah. save your emails. <laughs> well, yeah, but that he was didn't... in the midst of him doing Guardians, though. Right. Yeah. But yeah, yeah just, he was I, trying to know. become a movie star. Is what was going on. There. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this this sounds like a joke gone a lot more effort than is required for this joke. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Jacob, what have you been watching? Uh, all of last week, my wife and I prepared for the arrival of the nun by rewatching all the Conjuring movies. Uh, so quick, quick, quick mini reviews of all those movies. <laughs> Uh, the Conjuring One, still really great. Ed and Lorraine Warren are my favorite horror heroes of all time in a, in a genre where the villains are always the ones who return and are the ones who get the, the their, their names um, put in lights. I love that there's this loving married couple who support each other and are generally nice people who are the stars of their own horror franchise. That is so great. Uh, Conjuring Two, not as scary, but it's so odd because clearly James Wan can get away with things after the success of The Conjuring. It's 20 minutes longer than your average horror movie. It features extended sequences of Ed and Lorraine being nice to people and Patrick Wilson playing the guitar and singing Elvis songs to make a bunch of children living in a haunted house feel better about their day. It is lovely. I love The Conjuring 2, even if it's not as scary as The Conjuring 1. Annabelle is junk food, but I like it. Annabelle Creation is very, very, very good junk food by a much better director. Uh, and that brings me to The Nun, which I saw as, as my anniversary date, since my wife and I love these movies to death. Now, now, Jacob, I've been hearing a lot of bad things about this movie. People do not <laughs> like The Nun. People hate The Nun. And on yesterday's podcast, where uh, you were off at a screening, so you couldn't be on it, but I talked a little bit about how I am the world's only fan of The Nun, <laughs> and I actually like it quite a bit. Uh, it's not as scary as any, any other Conjuring movies, but it has a real tone and a real personality, and it has... Uh, as I said yesterday, um, the aesthetic of smoky graveyards full of character actors looking uh, scared is is my thing. 
and the the ending of that movie, the final thirty minutes, is Gonzo, and it, it goes to some truly bizarre places. It's not scary. It's it's the jump scares are the weakest of the whole Conjuring universe, but in terms of being living in an aesthetic, an aesthetic being spooky Eastern European castle full of crosses and ghosts, uh, I, I'm there for the nun. The nun, I support you. Okay, so you you're telling everybody listening to this podcast to go out and see the nun in theaters. Uh, if you like, <laughs> if if you like, um, B movies, very straight face B movies starring character actors made in the '60s, you will enjoy what the nun is trying to do. It's trying to be one of those. Okay, then, HT, what have you been watching? All right, so um, I finally saw Three Identical Strangers, which I was surprised was still in theaters, but it was at the landmark in Bethesda, Maryland. So I had to traverse a little bit for it, but it was worth it because this is a documentary uh, directed by Tim Wardle that um, was kind of a Sundance favorite earlier this year, and it's really good. Um, It starts off with uh, three strangers, uh, Robert Schaefer, Edward Galland, and... Uh, David Kelman, who meets when they're 19 accidentally, and they realize that they're identical triplets. And at first, it beca- it's a very heartwarming story um, in the 70s where they have I, discovered each other and they get along so well and they find all these similarities. But then it takes a surprisingly dark turn uh, midway through. I won't spoil it, but it's it takes you on a ride. And um, although I do have some sort of uh, troubles with how they they depict mental illness later on, which is not a spoiler, but it's later on in the film. But it's still a very good, very um, gripping film. Uh, surprisingly, so much for so for a documentary, it kind of plays almost like a, a suspense film in a way. Uh, I really recommend it. It's it's very good. And um, another thing I've been watching, I've also been doing a lot of rewatching this weekend just because, like I said before, I was stuck indoors, with nothing to do and just raining the entire time. So I have been first catching up on the uh, latter seasons of Doctor Who, uh, which is a BBC sci-fi series that I'm sure you may have heard of. Um, it's about a time traveling alien who can every few decades change his face when he dies and regenerate into a new actor, which is a very convenient uh, thing to do for a long running sci-fi series. And um, I was, I, I was absolutely enamored with this series when I was in college. I loved it. I, I dressed up as the 11th doctor for Halloween. I have a sonic screwdriver. I um, have several t-shirts. I'm, I love the show and I kind of, fell off it uh, in 2014. And this kind of came about with the uh, new doctor um, played by Peter Capaldi, who's also who just left as well. And um, everyone kind of has their own doctor that they love. It's kind of in the vein of like James Bond. Everyone has their favorite James Bond. And people who love Doctor Who really, really identify with their favorite doctor. And for me, that was the 11th doctor played by Matt Smith. Um, and I, I love them so much that um, it was difficult just like watching a new doctor and Capaldi's version was so cantankerous and grumpy. And also I, I lay a lot of the blame on showrunner Stephen Moffat. I might go on a little mini Doctor Who <laughs> rant and I'm very sorry. I love the show a lot. Go for it. But I um, wanted was really excited about the upcoming season of Doctor Who, which has the first female doctor ever. And so I decided to catch up on the Peter Capaldi seasons that I'd missed after I stopped watching in 2014. And I fell in love with this show again. It's It was such a, an exciting experience just to like re- fall in love with a show that you really loved. And uh, Capaldi gets so good, especially in his last season, which makes up for all the horrible first episodes that he um, had to deal with. But uh, he's so good. I cried. Um I um, got inspired to rewatch the entire series again, which I'm I'm currently doing. So <laughs> I am now doing an entire 10 season rewatch of uh, Doctor Who. But Capaldi was just so good that it got me back on the Doctor Who train. And um, I I will recommend. I'm writing an article later about people who have never seen Doctor Who to where you can jump in. But if you um, want to watch a more recent season, his final season the 10th season of doctor who is just it's so good and um it brings back all the elements of doctor who that i love which is crying and camp and <laughs> i love it it's it's such a good series i'm back it even like inspired me to get back on tumblr which is a, a website i haven't been on in a year and um 
just fangirl about Doctor Who all over again. So uh, I I definitely recommend <laughs> Doctor Who, the, the long-running series that has been on for more than 50 years. But uh, if you guys want to get into it, just a sci-fi series that's not really about sci-fi, but is just about how love and emotions and friends and family can can power through and save the day, then Doctor Who is the show for you. HG, I haven't heard you talk about anything like this in a long time. It seems like a really like a transformative experience for you. It is. It was it was such a big part of my college like experience. I definitely tied a lot to like the nostalgia for that, but it's a show that was I think very formative for me and I, I love it so much and I'm happy that it's good again, that I'm I'm excited again to see it. So yeah, it's a I'm I'm thinking about holding a watch party for the new season of Doctor Who <laughs> and Dress up so that's how much i love it i'm really excited i love doctor who guys see doctor doctor who is one of my only holes like in nerd cred i feel like i've tried to get into it i i think i started with that the season where they first rebooted it um that's the 2005 season with uh christopher eccleston yeah where they had like uh mannequins chasing him yeah, it's not a good starting point, actually. It was, it was, I know people love the camp, but I'm not really campy type guy. I don't know. Hearing you talk about this makes me want, and, and everybody I know, I know so many people that love Doctor Who. It makes me want to give this another try. So, HT, where 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 should I jump in? I should jump in. What so, if you want to start off um, with Christopher Eccleston from the beginning, I actually wouldn't recommend doing the first episode of his run, but uh, <laughs> the fifth episode, I think it's the fifth one, it's called Dalek, and it's a really good jumping off point, I think, for his run, and well, and if you like that, then it should get you started for the rest of the series, but there's also great episodes that you can really jump into for any of the Doctors. I think one of the good... Um, the great conceits of Doctor Who is that you can supposedly jump in to the show at any time because every episode is it doesn't really rely on like tons of years of uh, backstory and knowledge and everything there are some that's like a little bit more tied into the, the canon of everything but mostly it's just like fun nods to past uh, episodes but um yeah but that's like a good one what if someone doesn't know you know doesn't understand the, the sonic screwdriver or what it, is inside the tardis or do you know what I mean like you, it's I, informed like once like with a lot of the episodes you kind of just like learn along the way because a lot of it is just like explaining an exposition it's kind of like a nerdy james bond he's just like he doesn't do any action he doesn't really fight but he talks a lot which is i think what why people like doctor who so much um but yeah it's it is it does sound like there's a lot of things going into it but most episodes if you jump in you can just like you can figure it out from the start oh he's an alien he time travels he's here to save the day or not so (laughs) (laughs) there's a lot of death in this series actually there's a surprising amount of people who die and they kind of just forget about them (laughs) where where can you watch doctor who is on bbc america it's all all the apps all the seasons are actually on amazon prime right now very cool uh, let's move on to what we've been eating. Um, I just have a, a, a few quick things. I celebrated a friend's birthday, my friend Reza's birthday, at Michael Minya's Bourbon Steak in Glendale. Bourbon Steak is his uh, upscale steak uh, restaurant franchise that he's kind of been franchising out. He's a uh, San Francisco, uh, a famous chef in San Francisco, and uh, they have them in Vegas and all over. Um, but uh, it was great. The steak is great. Uh, if you ever have a chance to eat at Bourbon Steak, I highly recommend it. I uh, th- They had a Wagyu, a Japanese Wagyu beef that I think was uh, $40 an ounce with a five ounce minimum. I did not buy that. But uh, I was staring at the menu being like, if I were rich... <laughs> maybe uh and um i also went to uh, i had a cheat day i've been on a diet recently i've been losing some weight uh not as fast as i want to but this weekend we had a cheat day and i was kind of uh, uh i know ben's talked about uh, howling rays recently and at uh this chicken fried chicken restaurant in la and there's this new fried chicken restaurant that opened up in century city called the crack shack which I think is from San Diego originally. And I had heard good things about it. They have fried chicken sandwiches. So on my cheat day, I wanted to go there. I went there. I had some of their sandwiches. They weren't that great. Uh, it just made me wish that I had spent my uh, 
my cheat points or whatever cheat day at uh, Howling Rays. Uh, so I regret uh, trying out with Crack Shack. Not that it's bad, but it just wasn't it wasn't Rays. So I mean, what is? Ben, yeah. what have you been eating? Well, yeah. So last week I talked about Howling Rays, which is one of the best meals of my entire life. I think just in terms of like really great chicken sandwiches. Um, and then this past weekend I went to Major Domo, which is the restaurant that is owned by David Chang. It opened in January of this year. David Chang is the guy you might know him from the Netflix show Ugly Delicious. He created Momofuku, which is uh, a restaurant in New York City that I've been to. That is, I mean, like tremendous. It's so good. Uh, so Major Domo is like his LA centric hotspot and this place is like very difficult to get into or it was for the first few months of it being open and my wife and I went and had boneless chuck short rib and uh, macaroni and chickpea and tapioca lo, lo mein and there is like raclette cheese that just they melted it in the back and just sliced it off onto the short rib at our table. I put it all on my Instagram feed, so you can check it out at, at Ben Pears there if you want to see this. It is, uh, I mean, it was one of the best meals that I've ever had. It was so, so good. So I would highly recommend yeah. going to Major Domo if you're in LA, if you can get in. If the food looks even, if the food tastes even half of how good it looks in your Instagram photos, I don't know, I got to add this to my list. I got to bookmark it on uh, Yelp, which I do yeah. often. Do um, it for sure. Yeah. Um, and uh, let's go to Jacob. Jacob, where have you been eating? Uh, I went to Enoteca Vespaya last week, the, the final chapter in the things it did with my wife on my anniversary. And this is a small Italian place in downtown Austin, or just, just off downtown Austin. And I'm going here at least once a year since I've known her. It was one of our very one of our early dates, and it's usually a special place we go to for our for birthdays and anniversaries and celebrations. And the food here is very good. It's very good Italian food. It's very, it's very small. Uh, so when you're in there, you have this very intimate feeling. It's very warm in there. It feels like you're in a very special place. But I want to talk about Supli for a second. Uh, Supli is related to uh, arancini, if you have had that. But it is essentially an Italian street food that is fried risotto balls stuffed with mozzarella cheese, often served with, uh, mozzar- with, um, with um, marinara sauce. This sounds amazing. And, yeah, I don't know who else this podcast has had arancini or supli, but ho- holy cow, guys! I get this every single time. Sometimes I order it twice as an appetizer, then as the meal itself, because it is a fried. It's a fried risotto ball stuffed with cheese. Do I need to say anything else? It is divine. And the ones that you know, Tech of Aspire are especially divine. So if you ever at a Italian restaurant, you see this on the menu, you need to order it. It, it seems really hard to screw up, and it's delicious. Uh, where, where in Austin is this? It's on uh, South Congress, which if, you, if you're a local, it's about you know a, a few minutes out of downtown. It's, it's sort of in a sort of like a quirky area full of shops and restaurants, and it's it's it's, it's the cool place in Austin, more or less. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna bookmark that as well. So next time I'm in Austin visiting you, Jacob, uh, we'll have to go there and have some soup. Yes, I will, I will take you, and we will order, like, three servings of it because you'll want more. So. <laughs> okay, let's uh, move on to our last and final uh, category, and that is what we've been playing. Jacob, what have you been playing? I would like to say I've had a new video game to play, but I'm, I'm still playing Dead Cells. This is, like, week four of playing nothing but Dead Cells in my Nintendo Switch. Uh, but in terms of other games and non-video games, I picked up the manual for Vampire the Masquerade 5th Edition. And for those of you who aren't familiar with Vampire, this was the first game in the world of darkness series from the nineties and for a period of time in the nineties, uh, vampire rivaled D and D for sales and popularity. And I know it was before my times before I played RPGs and it went through a very a series of editions where, you know, you're playing as vampires, you deal with uh, all the machinations of being vampires. And the new edition has been controversial for uh, a number of reasons. Uh, but, what really struck me about reading about it is how it's doubled down on being a horror game. I know a lot of people talk about how in pre- in, as the editions went on in the 90s, it became more of a, we're superheroes, we have to be vampires, we're going to go fight things and punch things. Whereas the 5th edition very much even even has warnings in the cover saying, hey, this isn't for kids, uh, because I'm just going to read a segment from the description. Uh, Vampire the Masquerade is the original and ultimate role-playing game of personal and political horror. You are a vampire struggling for survival, supremacy, and your own fading humanity, afraid of what you afraid of what you're capable of, and fearful of the human conspiracies that surround you. 
So the basic gist of this game is that you are vampires who are sort of pull the strings on society and kind of secretly run the world more or less. But you're not human. You're not heroes. You're not monsters. And you have to literally prey on other human, on actual human beings in order to accomplish things and stay alive and not go insane. So so you're looking over through the book, which I haven't read in full yet, it, it's not like, we're going to go raid this dungeon. It's going to be like, oh, we got to go kill this human being and then go try to influence the election to make sure the senator who secretly is in the vampire's thrall stays in power. And we're very sad. Oh, my God, the sun is coming up. We need, we need to run right now. So it's very much this very sad, desperate, lonely, terror-stricken world where being a vampire makes you powerful but also makes you uh, incredibly difficult and evil and hard to comprehend. And it's the kind of thing that has an entire glossary of uh, – not glossary, a table of create an instant victim. Where are you? Okay, what kind of victim are you going to prey upon? How are they going to react to you being a vampire? It's really dark stuff. Like it's, it's easy to maybe make fun of it as like being like this – um, goth and rice thing, which it is. Uh, but in terms of being a the new edition of an extremely popular acclaimed horror game, uh, I'm I, I'm looking forward to reading through, through the rest of it and kind of filling in this hole in my RPG knowledge and understanding more about why this game was so huge in the '90s and eventually getting a game going myself. Very cool, uh, Ben. You've still been playing Spider-Man? Yeah, yeah. I talked a lot about the game on I think the most recent episode of the water cooler so I won't go into it too much but I just wanted to give another shout out to this game because it really is incredible I mean it's so addicting it's like guys I just want to stop recording and go (laughs) rev up my PlayStation 4 and swing through the city of New York again uh, as Spider-Man I'm like 90% of the way through the game I I beat the story part um, before I did the the review on the site last week but you know, I'm like going through and trying to check off all the little boxes of picking up all the little bonus items and doing side missions and all of that stuff. And just the um, the freedom of the, of the open world aspect of this game and, and the uh, swinging mechanics and the webbing and all of that stuff. It's just so much fun. So I just wanted to give another quick shout out to Marvel Spider-Man, which is a PS4 exclusive. But um, as I told Brad on last week's episode, it may be worth buying a PlayStation 4 <laughs> just for this game. You, you know, I'm not a video game player at all. I think, you know, the last video game console I played was um, probably like Nintendo 64 at this point um, on a regular basis. But uh, hearing you talk about this game i was at target the other day walking by the video game section and i was actually contemplating buying the game because we have a playstation 4 uh get from my girlfriend plays some games uh but i i don't know i'm not sure 60 dollars is worth it and it, if i don't know <laughs> should, should i do it ben i mean if you're if you've seen some footage of it and like you know seen the reviews and and how much everybody loves this game and you're still hesitant at this point i would say just wait you know wait like a year until you can get the game for 30 bucks instead of 60 um but if yeah, you're, you're right I don't, I don't need to play the new hotness i, I can wait it, it'll be 40 dollars for black friday peter i guarantee that okay i'm gonna wait i'm just gonna wait um okay that brings us to the end of today's slash film daily uh you can find more of all our work on slash film.com uh you can find this podcast published every weekday on itunes google play overcast spotify all the popular podcast apps send us your feedback questions comments concerns to peter at slash film.com uh, we haven't had a mailbag segment in a while i promise we will have one later this week at least and uh please go right and read this podcast on itunes tell your friends spread the word and we will see you tomorrow. All right. Bye, guys. I got to go. Right. Bye, Jay. You, you have been... going to run, but I'm going to record insults to everybody else. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you have been saved from the insults. <laughs> okay, Jacob. Uh, let, let us out of it. HG uh, had to leave a little early, so she escapes the wrath of the, the gargantuan book of insult, offense, and effrontery this week. Uh, I'm going to open up to a random page, find some random insults. I'm sure they'll apply to both of you. You guys ready for this? I'm yes. really curious if anybody listening to this podcast has, like, searched this book on Amazon and has, like, actually purchased it. I sure <laughs> I hope so. I can't imagine anyone has. Right, here we go. I'm going to open toward the end. Oh, we are in the Playboys chapter. Oh. Is that uh, is, is that PG enough for this podcast? Um, Let's see. <laughs> Oh, okay, here's one for for, uh, for for Peter. 
Okay. Uh, after all, he's a man with no wife expectancy. <laughs> <laughs> That's a dad joke. Yeah, total dad joke. Um, well, meanwhile, Ben, he's always ready to go to, go to bat for a girl, especially if she has the right kind of curves. What? What? <laughs> I, I oh, because understand. she throw cur- she throws curves, oh, so you can get a bat. Yeah. See, yeah, yeah. see, jokes are funny when you gotta like explain them. <laughs> well, Peter, yeah. you, you're frank and earnest with women. In Cleveland, you're frank, and in Los Angeles, you're earnest. <laughs> <laughs> that one I actually think is genuinely funny. <laughs> yeah, that one's good. That, that's pretty good. Uh, well, well, ben, you know truly... that love is Ben. You know that love is blind, and you prove it by feeling your way around. Okay, so now we're back on the terrible train again. <laughs> okay, I, I think that I think we've had enough. <laughs> I, I think this is the end of the episode. Mercy ended. <laughs>